Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Fitz Nation. Happy to be with you. And I'm going to keep this uh, introduction brief off the top. we got Eric Anders coming up on the show today. Just chatted with him the other day. He's got a fight coming up November 13th against Roman Dolidze. He was at the gym training. So if you hear some audio and somebody cracking pads in the back, that's what you're hearing. But I appreciate him taking time out of his day to chat with me. We get the story on Anders, right? Football, career, uh, we go back to his military background. He was born overseas in the Philippines, lived in all different parts of the world, moving every few years, military family, all that sort of stuff, and kind of how it affected him. How he got into football, how he ultimately got the scholarship to Alabama. A lot of circumstances had to unfold in just the right order at just the right time for that. And then, ultimately, what gets him into MMA, what makes him train full-time, uh, and ultimately gets him to the UFC. And if you ever watched the show Lost, remember that show Lost where they're all stranded on the island, the plane crash? I just recently rewatched that series again, actually. And John Locke, the character who, who continues to say throughout that series, don't tell me what I can't do. And uh, when Anders dropped that line in this one, relating it to his story, don't tell me what I can't do. Because he had many who thought he wouldn't be able to play college football. And I'm sure many thought he would never reach the UFC starting MMA so late, but alas, he did so, and it was a pleasure to join him. I'll be on the call for his fight on November 13th, but first, here is, in his own words, the story of Eric Anders on Fitz Nation. Looks like Eric Anders is uh, getting his work in today and pausing yeah. in the action. How are you, Eric? Man, I'm doing awesome. Yeah, you're right, dude. I just got done... Uh doing some technical stuff with uh, Santino DeFranco and Ray Waters and then strength and conditioning with uh, Chad E.K. So pretty tired at the moment. I was going to ask you, um, like, what's the connection to Birmingham? Do you do you still live in Alabama at all? Or you like? I do. Yeah, I, I just come out here for uh, eight, nine weeks at a time to do camp. So, you know, you know, this will be my third fight this year. So pretty much I'm out here half the year. And then yeah. my wife and kids and my regular life is right. My Clark Kent life is in a, you know, in, a, in Birmingham. Yeah. And how's that going for you? Uh, it's going well, man. You know, it makes it a lot easier to, to come out here for that long, for two months at a time when, you know, my whole family's bought in, they train, they do MMA and, you know, jujitsu and whatnot. So right. they're kind of bought into, you know, my lifestyle and what it is that I'm trying to do. So, you know, it makes it a lot easier. Let's start with something that uh, everybody can relate to. Eric, you have achieved in football and now in MMA. What would you say is the thing uh, that has allowed you to do that? Because a lot of people will point to you and they'll say, well, yeah, he's a beast. He's this big athletic dude, whatever. But there's something more than that. What has allowed you to to get to the top level of two different sports? Um, man, I think I'm, it's because I'm a competitor. You know, I'm uh, I'm five out of the six kids. So, you know, I'm at the bottom of the food chain, so to speak. And, uh, man, everybody always kind of told me that, you know, I couldn't. And, you know, I just kind of put a chip on my shoulder. So I train with the chip on my shoulder. I compete with the chip on my shoulder. And it's just always it's always been that way for me. So it's just, um, you know, kind of part of my nature, I think. So your background, you know, I what I try to do is I go to the Wikipedia page. And then I want to see what's not there, 
right? And for yours, it says you were born on an Air Force base in the Philippines, which I knew. And then it says you went to high school in San Antonio and played football. And I'm like, well, that's that's skipping a lot right there. You know what I mean? Like, how long were you? How long were you overseas? And like, how do you describe the military life upbringing? Um, man, we lived. We moved like every three years. So I was born in the Philippines. Lived in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okinawa, Japan. Prattville, Alabama. Uh, Washington, D.C., and then San Antonio. So we moved like six, seven times uh, growing up. And uh, for me, you know, um, I think it was good because it never really allowed me to get comfortable in any one place. And, you know, as soon as you start getting settled in and, you know, you make friends and then this and that, you know, it's time to pack your stuff up and, and move again. So, um, and, you know, you kind of absorb, it's, it's cool, it's about living in a foreign country. Yeah, You know, you get to absorb different cultures, eat different foods, you know, um, you know, I don't speak any of the languages, but, you know, you kind of learn to, you know, obviously it's been a long time since I tried right, to speak right. Japanese, but you know, <laughs> at the time, you know, you know, I could get around and stuff. So, right. you know, it was cool. You know, even when we first moved there, we didn't live on base. You know, a lot of times when you move with the military, they put you on base. So you're kind of around other Americans or. Right you know, English speakers or whatever, but we lived off base in, you know, uh, Japanese housing and in a Japanese neighborhood. So maybe it was just, uh, you know, quite the experience to go um, experience different cultures, lifestyles. And, you know, I think it kind of makes you more open-minded and uh, I don't know if better person is, is the, the, the word yeah. I'm looking for, but you know, it just kind of makes you think a little bit different. Bigger perspective on the world. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, how did that, how did that lifestyle, uh, dictate who you ultimately became? Um, well, I think it made me like sports a lot more because, you know, that's kind of how you make friends, you know, common interests, you know, um, you know, we're all playing football. We're all trying to, to win games or whatever. You kind of develop these, you know, close niche, uh, friendships, you know, people that I haven't, seen since I was like 10 years old, you know, through Facebook and social media and stuff, I can still keep up with and talk to and stuff. So, yeah, you know, I have a lot of lifelong friends and, um, you know, different places around the world. So for you, like military family too, um, like how does, how does that get instilled in you? Uh, well, I'm never late for anything. Yeah. I was just going to say <laughs> when, uh, when you popped on, I said, not a lot of fighters are right on the nose. You know what I mean? Yeah. Between military um, and uh, playing for Saban, I would imagine that that habit has not worn off. You know, I, I'm not like a, I don't make the bed in the morning. You know, I don't, you know, take it to the nth degree like that, but man, I think there are certain things like, uh, you know, like courtesy being on time, uh, respecting other people's time. I think things like that uh, kind of instilled in you, you know, you see your parents have to be somewhere at a certain right. time, or you know, and then you know they're trying to round up six kids to be somewhere on time. It's like, okay, you know, if they can do it, trying to get eight people to one place at one time, <laughs> then uh, surely I by myself can get somewhere on time. Like as a kid, though, because I remember in high school and like I had some friends and they were maybe going to go to the Naval Academy or West Point or whatever, and I'm just like, I could never live like that. It's not about you at all. It's not about what you want to do in any way, shape or form. Like, did you notice that as a kid? Like, it's like, sure. We'd like to 
go this place for Christmas or take this vacation or whatever. And that's just not in the cards right now. Yeah. You know, I think I noticed it a lot more when I got to college and I could just, you know, see some of these kids that I would play ball with that, you know, from like little towns and cities, you know, and they lived there in the same house their whole life. Right. And, uh, you know, they just couldn't get right. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. they were a celebrity all the time, you know, since they were a kid, like, and this, this kid was like six, five at 13 years old. So like, you know, that this kid is going to go somewhere and play ball. Everybody kind of kisses their ass and, you know, does all that. I was never a celebrity to my parents. And every time we moved, I had to like, you know, make a name for myself. So, you know, for me, like, I, I couldn't understand as I do. Why can't you go to class? Why can't you not do this? Why can't right. you be where you're supposed to be? And, um, uh, so, you know, I think that, um, you know, kind of like I, I wouldn't say like I'm an athlete by by talent. Of course, I have like physical uh, like attributes and whatnot, but I had to work for everything. You know, nothing ever really came natural. So, you yeah, know, I think that, you know, it being that way and nothing was just like, OK, I'm born six, five, 300 right. pounds. You can't teach size. So, yeah, you know, was, I always had to be like a little scrappy and 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 earn my way kind of thing. So you know, I can never just like relate to some people. I was like, dude, how hard is it to get up at eight o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning to be the class by eight? Like it's not difficult at all. Right. So, you know, it's just, um, it's, I guess some environmental differences, uh, in perspective differences. Yeah. Like on that Instagram post, those big boys, right? Like there's no, there's no question they were going to play somewhere decent, right? They're that size and that athletic. Oh yeah. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> that guy right there, Marcel Darius, he was a different breed, man. You know, yeah. that guy. That's right. He played the NFL, didn't he Darius? Yeah. For like 10 years. And he's, yeah. he's so physically gifted. Like I asked him, I was like, dude, what do you do for strength and conditioning? He's like in a 10 year career, he never touched the weight. All he would do is ride his bike, wow. you know, in a loop or however many miles it was. Yeah, and then yeah. the next day, he would just try and beat his time from the day before. But that guy, you know, I don't think anybody ever told him that he was going to be great. Right, you know? so right. Like he always, he always had a high motor. He always worked hard. And uh, yeah, there was just no question that that guy was going to make it play for a long time. So you, you mentioned a lot of people told you you couldn't. Who told you you couldn't? Like who's, who's, who are the naysayers on your way up? Oh uh, man. Some of my teachers in high school, you know, <laughs> San me, Antonio, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were like, man, uh, you're never going to make it. Like you should think about something else. And, you know, and then they, they would try to like be, be nice about it. It's like, Oh, well only 1%, you know, make it to yeah. college and only 1% playing it, blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, listen, dude, you can say what you want, but I'm going to make it. In one way or another, you know, so whether if I have to go D3, D2, or, you know, even if I get into a D1, like, you know, don't tell me what I can't do, so, you know? Yeah. So. Did, were, were they talking about college football in general? They're just saying you can't play college football? Yeah. They were like, dude, you're 6'1", 195 pounds. You know, these guys that were playing by position in college are, you know, 6'5", 320. Yeah. So like, oh, maybe you should think about something else. And I'm like, man, there is nothing else. But, you know, my backup plan was the military. If I, if I, if I didn't, you know, get a Division One scholarship and I was just going to join the, the Marines and do that for 20 years and, you know, retire at yeah. 38. <laughs> That's, I mean, th that could be a good life too. But so like, 
these naysayers, Eric, like we need to squash this. Maybe it starts with me and you here, but like, what is with teachers in a school setting who are supposed to encourage kids to like live their best life and, and achieve talk in that negative way of like, most people don't make it. And when I was a kid, I remember saying like, I'm going to play college football at Michigan or Notre Dame. I haven't figured it out yet. I'm in like first grade, but, um, and I remember immediately get it. Well, that's pretty tough, Brendan. I don't know if, uh, I don't know, yeah, man. Yeah, that's yeah. What, you know, not many people can. And it's just like, I just, now that I'm a dad, just never want to do that, you know? But like, why is that the first reaction? You ever wonder that? Like, why is that the first reaction to try to be a realist on stuff? Um, man, I was just kind of so used to it by then. It was just kind of, I kind of liked it actually. It's like, okay, you told me I can't. So let me show you that I can Yeah, sort of thing. And then, uh, you know, it, it, you know, I'm really pity or petty. I mean, yeah. So yeah. Okay. Once I, you know, played a against two, them, bam, I went back to the high school and knocked on the teacher's door and was like, Hey, what's going on? You know, I'm fucking, I'm playing D one ball. What's up? It's yeah. also the same teacher who told me that I couldn't use the calculator because I wouldn't have a calculator in my pocket. Uh, you know, when I do that, I was like, dude, I have, you know, I have a cell phone with the calculator on. <laughs> Everyone's got a calculator, a calculator all the time. Yeah. Jesus so he, Christ. He, he was just wrong about everything. So, yeah. Yeah. And then I always like thought about, I said, like, well, what have you ever done? You know? Yeah. How can you tell me what I can or can't do when? You know, you've never really done anything. Did you set out to be a teacher? Is that what your goal was, uh, you know, when you were my age? You know, I doubt it, you know. Right. So you probably just kind of fell into this. And, you know, that's not what I wanted for my life. So, you know, I wasn't going to accept anything other than, you know, playing Division One ball. And so now your kids, right, your, your wife's son, and you have you have one son and your wife has a son, right? Yep, yep. So how does that affect now your 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 parenting? Cause I know for me, it's just like, I, I feel like my talk will be in a different way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, I just, you know, kind of want to lead by example. It's like, how bad do you want something? Are you willing to, you know, leave your family for a period of time to, to be successful? Like you, like, uh, that last time I came out here, uh, Suhudo took both my boys to the house and made them kind of write down their goals and what they were willing to sacrifice yeah. to achieve these goals. And I thought it was the greatest thing because, man, I try to tell my kids, but, man, you got parents, like, whenever your dad or somebody told you something, it was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Right. And somebody else can tell you the exact same thing, let alone an Olympic champ and adult, you know, a two-time UFC champ. Right. You know, so same thing my dad is telling me, okay, like, maybe I'll listen to my dad more or maybe they'll take it from Cejudo better than they will me. Um, yeah whatever so they write down the goals and you know um so i said like, okay dude you say you want to do this and you're willing to sacrifice this and that you know friendships and you know going out partying or you know they're only 10 and 12 so right you know, right it's on the horizon thing. though right it's gonna be here before we know it yeah yeah you know so they uh i think that right there kind of helped them understand what it is that i'm trying to do and then you know, I kind of told him I'll be done fighting in three years when my oldest gets to high school, uh, when everything starts to count and matter and whatnot. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they're kind of bought into it, you know. Um, at the moment, they say that they understand and they're with it, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, there's you know, still a lot of... You know, when they get older and mature and, like, they're, they're able to express their feelings a little bit better, you know. 
the temptations aren't quite there at 12. They're there at 15, 16, 17. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> so, so you just said something. You just said three years. You got the direct timeline on the career. Yeah, you know, I'll be 37, 38. Um, you know, I'm not really trying to. One of my goals when I was a kid was to be done with work by the time I'm 40. And uh, even right now, even if I decide to stop fighting, you know, uh, me and my wife have invested all my fight money pretty well. So I could, you know, I could stop right now and be done. But, you know, I really like what I'm doing. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I just thought that, like, whenever my oldest gets to high school, that would be the time to kind of be home all the time and, yep. you know, be able to make sure they're at, you know, going to getting, you know, being able to get to practice and, and things like that. You know, yeah. obviously I'd like to be there, be able to train and do everything at home, but um, it's just not possible for, for the career that I want. Right. And that I'm not capable of having. So, you know, they'll, they'll be older one day, even if they say they do, but they don't understand like, you know, they'll be in my position one day with, with something else, whether it be a job or, you know, where they pursue fighting or athletics or whatever. So it may not dawn on them now, but five, six, 10 years, 12 years down the road, they'd be like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. I understand why dad did what he did and, you know, all these other things. So cool that the career of being what it is too, that they can like watch it unfold and even in the future can go back and watch. You know, and they, they could see all this all this stuff that you were able to do and uh, what you're able like to say the, along the way. They're like kids in their schools, like, oh, your dad fights in the USC. Right, exactly. My, yeah. My sits on a computer all day or whatever, <laughs> you know. Oh, that's so cool. Can we come over? Can we hang out? It's like, oh, yeah. that's your dad. Yeah. So I'm saying, man, I should appreciate this, man. Y'all, y'all got street cred because of me. That's know? right. That's you right. <laughs> so I want to go back to um, college because you mentioned like high school. They're saying you're not going to make it. Not only do you make it, you go to the freaking SEC and then Alabama and you're there like right at the beginning of uh, Saban's run. But I remember seeing this feature that we did on you. Uh, this was a few years ago. I think when you fought Machida or maybe it was when you fought Santos. But anyways, um, it wasn't all like roses, right? You go to Alabama and it wasn't like, yeah, I'm starting. I'm, I'm the man. I made it. Can you tell that story of like, was it going badly? Like what was happening where it was going badly and you were, you were going to leave or something? Oh uh, yeah. So like when I got recruited to play at Bama, Saban wasn't there. Like, and under no circumstances would Saban recruit me. Cause you know, he's got a thing. If you play outside linebacker, he wants you to be this tall, be this high, right. be this way, run this pass. And I was always, 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 no matter what, undersized. Um, for my position. So there's no way Saban would recruit me. So I ended up at Alabama is because um, okay, so long story is my one of my assistant coaches was high school, was college roommates with the offensive line coach at the time, uh, Bob Conley. And every year they have these summer camps where all these kids go and they, you know, go do drills and play football and stuff uh, at Alabama and the, being coached by the Alabama coaches and whatnot. So he goes and has lunch and it was like, hey, man, this kid, he's a really hard worker. Worst case scenario, he'll be a good special teams player for you. So he like, and man, he rewind further. I made my own highlight tape. 
I made like 125 copies of it and sent them out to every single Division One FBS school everywhere. And nice. didn't hear nothing back from anybody. Yeah. So he like hand-delivered this tape to the coach and was like, man, this kid is like has an insane work ethic, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Long story short, a kid uh, didn't qualify academically. So all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the scholarship pops up like two weeks before two-a-day start. So I was, you know, actually in Hawaii. My, my brother was getting married. And Mike Shula calls my phone and was like, hey, what's up? Do you know who this is? And I was like, no. And he's like, it's Mike Shula, the head football coach at Alabama. And I was like, oh, well, hello, sir. You know, you know, whatever. And um, I was like, okay, I get back on Sunday. Uh, I'll come out on Monday on my visit. And uh, he was like, how many? So I'm, I'm there. I'm walking around and. You know, he comes out of nowhere and he's like, hey, you know, whatever, whatever. Mike Shula, Eric Anders, he's like, how much do you weigh? And of course, I lied. You know, I was probably like 200 pounds soaking wet and I was like 215. He's like, oh, that's cool. We're going to get on the scale. And if you're a pound under 215, we're not going to offer you. And so we walk up to the scale and the scale is broke and not working. So I was like, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, it's a long story short, you know, like they already have this, this scholarship open and no one's there to fill it. So I signed on my, uh, on my visit and, uh, went home, came back two weeks later to start camp. Man. And, uh, man, everything was going well. You know, I was working my way up the depth chart, you know, I was like second string and, uh, Shula gets fired all night. So we finished the season with a, uh, you know, with an interim coach and Saban comes in and, you know, it's not just about going and getting the football anymore. All of a sudden, there's X's and O's and, and plays. And, man, just, just, you know, day one, he comes in with a with a playbook like that thick. And it's like, you know, each play is like four plays in one. If they yeah. motion this way, they're going to do that. And I'm just like, dude, I don't know if I'm smart enough <laughs> to, you know, do this. And uh, long story short, my – I guess it was my redshirt sophomore year. Uh, we played Colorado. I didn't play in, a, I guess, the Independence Bowl, which is a you know, pretty shitty bowl. It's yeah, not, yeah, I know that one. You know, it's in Shreveport, Louisiana. Memphis? Oh, Louisiana. Okay, that's Shreveport. right. Yeah, yeah. And um, I didn't play it down. And uh, I, I told, you know, my parents, of course, they all came out and whatnot. And I was like, dude, I'm transferring. I'm leaving. Because, you know. I'm not yeah. playing. I didn't come here to sit the bench. And my dad had a long conversation. I stayed up till like two or three in the morning. Uh, talking about, man, just get your degree, stay, play. You know, you'll appreciate it later. Yada, yada, yada. And, uh, man, he passed away in his sleep that night. And, uh, man, it's just a conversation I've always held, you know, pretty near and dear to my heart. So I stayed in school, started playing a little bit more on, like, third down situations, rushing the passer. And then my senior year, uh, I ended up starting, and then we won the national championship. So, man, I was, you know, very grateful to be able to have that conversation, you know, two years before that. Yeah. That's, I I remember that story with your dad where you talked to him, and and then he passed away that night. But that's wild. Yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of – you know, I really don't really – too much believe in like everything happens for a reason or coincidence or whatever but you know stuff like that i was like dude that happened and that 
you know, order for a reason. Yeah. So um, really more so than anything, just to kind of honor that conversation because, you know, you don't get any more advice. Yeah. Tell you anything anymore. So uh, just hold on to that and and do that and just trust that, you know, he he told you the right thing. And um, I think he did. I do believe in the everything happens for a reason and like even beyond the coincidence aspect of it. I think that these things you're supposed to do come and find you uh, if you want them enough. And like, obviously you wanted to go to a D one school and play football and like all that shit had to happen in your way. Like the scale had to be broken, Eric. It's wild. Like when you tell that story, like there's like seven things that had to line up exactly right for you, you know? A lot of things, you know, even even for me to start, you know, the, the guy in front of me got in trouble and had to transfer, you know, right. and then they were going to move Dante Hightower to that position. And then he tears his knee up uh, or whatever. So there were a lot of obstacles, but man, I kind of, man, I'm not saying that I ever want anybody to get hurt or transfer or sure. anything, but I, I truly believe in, in the power of thought. And as you think, so shall you be kind of thing. So I just, and I truly believed it. It's not like I was just saying that I was going to start and play and do all these things. Like I truly believed that I was good enough to play. I was capable enough to start. And that some way or another, no matter what position, because they moved me all around, inside, outside, defensive end. Yeah. Yeah. you know, just kind of look because man, Sable will reward like the guys who are doing everything right on and off the field or whatever. So like right. they were trying to find a place for me to play. Right. And uh, it's okay, dude. We don't have enough linebackers. Here's your, <laughs> Here's your spot. Starting yeah. spot kind of thing. So no, it's like it takes um, wanting it a lot. It takes wanting it a lot, but then you can't ever try to figure out how it's going to happen. Like you didn't know this guy was going to get hurt. This guy, you know, loses scholar transfer, whatever it is. Like you can never tell how it's going to happen. You just got to want it and, and, and like almost act as if you have it. Right. Yeah, like act, so, act man, as if you belong I, I on the field and that they'll right. put you there. Yeah. So I, I just knew like once I had my opportunity, like I was going to take advantage of it. And then, you know, I also think that, like, he saw, Saban saw that the more I played uh, my junior year, like, each game was better than the last. Right. So, he's a fan. Um, and then, Sal Sassuri, uh, who was the outside linebackers coach my senior year, probably one of the best men I've ever met in my life, certainly one of the best coaches, you know, even told me, he's like, dude, I think if you could have played in the NFL, you just ran out of time. Like, you didn't have enough film you know, for them to want you bad enough right? Uh, kind of thing. So, but okay. So I like, it didn't work out. And then uh, you know, I went, got cut from Cleveland, went to Canada, got cut. You know, that's like a massive blow to your, to your egos. Like, dude, you're not even good enough to, to play in Canada. Right, right, right. Or like, you know, when's the last Canadian football player that you ever heard of being in like the Hall of Fame or anything? There aren't yeah. many. And uh, then I played a year of arena ball, and I was just like, I already had my oldest son by then. So I was like, whatever, dude. I guess it's just time to pack it up and call yeah. it a day. You know? so, but man, I just found myself being, like, super frustrated, like, just 
hating that I, you know, I was kind of a drone. Like I got up at the same time every day. I went to work, sat in traffic. What did you do after after football? I, what I, did, did, you I did a lot of things, and this is really what kind of like the most frustrating thing ever. Like I came back to Tuscaloosa, and um, dude, I was like cleaning factories. Um, the lady who lived below me in my apartment complex swears to God that we're cousins, we're related somehow. And she was like, my mom uh, can give you a job uh, cleaning apartments. And I had nothing. You know, I, I would go, you know, sit down with these CEOs and owners of companies, you know, talking about they want to, you know, do a job interview or whatever. And then we'd sit there, have lunch for two hours. And, you know, they just want to hear Nick Saban and Mark Ingram stories. Wow. So, you know, They're was, just like boosters. And, you were, and yeah. it was cool with me. Like, I, I thought this was just a process. It's just a uh, you know, this is just one of the things that they do. They say it's the interview, and then you go there, you talk about everything but the job, and then they give you like an entry level position. But at the end, they were like, "Oh, we don't have any job openings." And so I was like, "Why are you having? Why are you having me here talking about a job interview? If you just want to take me out to lunch and talk about football, that's cool. I'll do that." You know, like right. broke, you know, right. meal, right. <laughs> you know, so man, I just, man, I was just like angry all the time. And, you know, I found myself like fighting in bars and, you know, so I was like, dude, I'm gonna get in trouble. You know, I got a kid already. Like I shouldn't be living like this. What's going on? And, uh, so man, I just started training jujitsu and, uh, just wanted to blow off some steam. Did jujitsu for like a month. And I was like, man. What, what are these hands about? You know, I, I see all these dudes hitting mitts and sparring and stuff. I could do that. And uh, I sparred one time with Walt Harris, got beat up. And I was like, dude, I like this. Yeah. I like this. I think yeah. I can do this. And, um, you know, I just started training, working, training, working, working. And then uh, eventually I met my wife and she was like, man. And I was going to school to be a paramedic as well. And she was like, man, why are you doing all this? I was already like 27 by this point. And she was like, dude, you're not, you're not young, you know, right. you don't have much time left to make it. So why don't you just quit your job, work at the gym and, and just train and teach all day. And I was like, man, I got this kid, man, I got this right. car payment. I got this, I got that. And, uh, you know, she was just like, well, how much is it going to take for you to quit your job? And I was like, man, I think once I pay off my car and I don't have a car payment, I don't have to worry about my car getting repossessed. Uh, I think I could make it. So, man, she wrote a check and paid my car off. Wow. Uh, and we're just dating at the time. And, you know, now I think about it and I was like, man, she's so good with money. She saw that as an investment. You know? Yeah, yeah. $3,000 or whatever check she wrote. How much does that come back? You know, uh, since then. How about that? So, yeah. So I, I quit my job, started working at the gym, and dude, that's when everything kind of kind of took off. So she was saying you need to make a run. You could go to the UFC or whatever level, but you could be a fighter. And you didn't kind of see that as a path. Well, yeah, I think I was already like 1-0, 2-0 as a pro. And she just saw how, you know, how hard I would train. Like I would get up at 4 in the morning, run, train, go to work at 8. Not even go home, go straight back to the gym, train till like nine, ten. So I'm not even getting home till like eleven o'clock at night. And you know, it's just so tired that you know, I'm not even trying to talk. You know, right. I'm just trying to go take a shower, but you know, get something to eat and, and lay down. 
So she just saw, you know, my work ethic and she's like, you know, she knew that I would make it even before I knew that I was going to make it. And uh, she was like, why don't you just, you know, because you're not sleeping, you don't get enough rest, you know, so why don't you just, so you can catch a nap in the middle of the day. Right. You know, we had a conversation and she wrote that check and boom. And then she also told me, she said, if you, you can go back to work at any time. So yeah. give it two years. And if you don't make it, then, you, you know, you can go back, you can go to work. And almost two years to the day, uh, I signed with the UFC. Wow. So that was about 2015. Then you, you kind of yeah. got that. You paid off the car in 2015. You made it to the UFC in 2017. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Still drove when, that car for a while, too. <laughs> when uh, when uh, did you start believing you could make it to the UFC? I mean, it's, it's not that, like, I didn't think, because as soon as I wouldn't train like I was training if I didn't think that I could be successful. Yeah. But, like, she just accelerated the process, you know? I was yeah. able to fight more often. I was able to train, sleep, eat, recover, and, you know, my whole life kind of revolved around fighting. Even, even when I wasn't training, if I was teaching, now you would be amazed at how much better you get at actually doing something by teaching people to do it. Right. It's like if you, if you were a math teacher or whatever and you taught multiplication all day, you know, how fast would you be able to multiply numbers, sure. you know, yeah. or add numbers or whatever it is. So, you know, I just found myself getting better and better and better, you know, by teaching, especially like little kids and old people. You know, athletes are easy to train. You show them something once, twice, three times and they get it. But like when you have to like, you say take your left hand and really dive in like, yeah push, you know it's just it, man you have to like grab so you're like essentially doing the movements and putting their body where it's supposed to be man i just got really good really quick yeah um, won worlds in jiu-jitsu uh as the purple belt and uh won golden gloves uh as a boxer you know boxing so it's just uh once I started doing that, you know, it just my skill level and fight IQ like rapidly increased, you know, at like a you know very rapid rate. Do you ever stop to think, Eric, about um, how wild it is? Because what I hear from you is like you didn't have any background in martial arts or combat sports at all, right? Nah, I have like level wrestling. Okay. Okay. So you wrestled a little bit, right? But that is just such a part of your past. So, so, so far in the rearview mirror and football was just everything. And then you're looking for something. And now it's just like, now you're in the UFC. You're, it's not like you're training jujitsu and you found a new hobby. I mean, you're in the freaking UFC and you've like fought like 10 times at this point or more. Um, do you ever stop and think about that? Like how, how quickly something can change and how quickly can something become your whole life? Um, now, I'm not really like a look in the rearview mirror kind of guy. Like, I don't sit back and reflect. Um, but, yeah, I mean, not really because, man, I worked for this. Like, I think a lot of athletes could be, like, good MMA fighters. But, man, if you're a competitor at the highest level and it doesn't work out or whatever, how many guys are willing to – guys or girls are willing to, like, swallow their pride and put their ego to the side? and become a white belt again. Like I sucked when I, you know, when I first started, like I was getting beat up by everybody. I was getting submitted by everybody, you know, even just like, 
you know, Joe Schmo, who, who sits at a desk all day, you know, was submitting me and stuff. Like, it didn't come very naturally to yeah. me. Yeah. You know, so there's not a lot of people that are willing to do that. Like, I paid the price to be where I'm at. Like, this isn't yeah. an act. You know, um, and I think that if a lot of athletes were willing to do that, you would see a lot more guys that are maybe too short to to play in the NFL or the NBA or, or whatever physical attribute that they lack. But man, they'd be a really good middleweight or welterweight <laughs> yeah. or, or lightweight in the UFC. You know, so like. You know, I had to sacrifice a lot. Like, I sacrificed, you know, being with my family. I'm missing football games right now. Um, I miss, you know, a lot of stuff. My wife's birthday, anniversaries, and things like that, you know, to, to kind of be where I'm at now. So, for me, that's not an accident. This isn't circumstance. This isn't, you know, uh, they didn't have anybody else. Like, I earned my spot, you know, and yeah. I earned my spot by winning as well. So, you know, maybe when, you know, my, my whole thing is, man, I never wanted to look back when I'm 50 and be like, man, I should have done this. I could have done that. I don't want any regrets when I'm an old man, you know? So, you know, like I said, this isn't an accident that right. I'm, at, I'm at. It's that military background, Eric. You had to move and start over every three years. So when you had to yeah. start over in MMA and get your ass kicked, it was, it was okay. Well, man, the only thing that I think about is like, what if I would have wrestled my whole life? What if I right. would have boxed my whole life instead of playing football? Football for me is kind of like that that ex girlfriend. Like while you're together, like everything's great. It's the best person on earth. Like yeah. you love this person, but then you break up and you're like, man, that person sucks. What was I doing? Why, why, <laughs> why did I stay with this person for so long? Yeah, that, that's how football is for me. Like. You know, I can't say that I really regret the experience because at the same time, like every time I fight, it's former Alabama national champion, now UFC fighter fighting yes. UFC or whatever has a fight. Like they always bring it up. So like I think that, you know, kind of even made that process happen faster because they're like, okay, this guy already has like a built-in fan base or, you know, a relatable, you know, whatever to, to be able to market him. So, you know, I, I don't regret football, but man, I just love MMA so right. much more than I than I ever did football. That the only thing that when I do think I was like, dude, what if I wrestled from seven to twenty-two, right? Instead of you know wrestling, so I was like fourteen and then playing football and, and running track and things like that. Yeah. What if I wouldn't box when I was and I wanted to box. <laughs> You know, before all that concussion stuff came out, uh, I told my mom, "Is like, hey, can I box when I'm not playing football? And she was like, no, I don't want you getting brain damage and slurring your words when you're older. And then now when I get done playing football, they're like, oh, by the way, football is not so great for your head anyway. <laughs> right, so right, I was right. like, okay, I can't get punched in the face, but I can go, you know, get in car accidents for yeah. 80 times in a 60-minute yeah. period, you know crazy plus practice well you could have burned out on the wrestling or the boxing or whatever too so it's like you know that ex-girlfriend also has to show you how much you love your current partner your wife you know what i mean like uh, you need that you need that perspective to frame it that way right well i mean man to be honest man i never really liked team sports 
You know, I, I always hated like relying on somebody else to catch the football or to throw the ball or to not fumble or to make a tackle. Like to me, like I hated it the most, you know, but the girls like football players. My oldest brother played football and that's who I always wanted to be when I was younger, you know, was my older brother. So I was like, okay, girls, and I can do what he's doing. So yeah, football yeah. it is, you know, yeah. and you know, I was kind of good. So right. Uh, Big and the athletic. girls really like the guys who play football, and yeah. they like even more the guys who play football who are good at football. So, right. <laughs> they're playing at Alabama, I'm sure you can imagine. Yeah. Um, that was. Do you um, not resent, but in terms of every time you walk out, here is former Alabama football player Eric Anders. I've tried to skate on that, Eric. I've tried to be like, I'm not just going to lead with it all the time. And then I'm reminded by a producer, like, hey, like, mention the Alabama, mention, mention the tie in, like, former college, you know. Um, and like you said, it's a relatable thing. It's mainstream, right? And it's not even college football. There's plenty of guys in the UFC that played college football. It's because of what Nick Saban has become and what Alabama sure. has become, and that you were on the front end of that. So we could say, not only did you play college football, you played at Alabama. The SEC is just on a different level than it ever was. And Nick Saban is on a different level. And that, that program is on a different level. So it's like it's like the tie-in for sports fans, for people who might be flipping the channels and they see you. And it's like, hey, this guy played for Nick Saban, people. And now he's in the sure. UFC. You know, stick around. We're, we're a legitimate I sport, mean, I, too. I get it. You I know. get it. I understand. Like I always feel yeah, bad sometimes in a way of, of saying stuff. it. Yeah. Like I, I feel bad, not feel bad, but like, I'm like this, there's so much more to this guy's story. And we always just, you know, we jump off the shelf at this, with well, this thing. Man, I, I think the big thing is people think that I got done playing football and I automatically started fighting in the UFC. And that's not, that couldn't be further from the truth. You right. know, they're right. good. Man, I guess five, four five year period where, Dude, I was on my hands and knees scrubbing toilets. You know, I was working for Coca-Cola. I was, you know, cleaning factories and stuff. You know, all that stuff is what kind of led me to to fighting. Like, I was just yeah. so bitter and angry that, you know, just a year ago, I won a national championship in this town. And now, a year later, you know, I'm on my hands and knees cleaning apartments and, and you know, doing that kind of stuff. But... Like I said, my ego and my pride has never been an issue. Like, I had a child to, to support. And, you know, really not so much concerned about me, but, man, you know, he needs diapers yeah. and milk and yeah. things like that. So, yeah. you know, you got to do what you got to do. And now, you know, they don't have a, a need. They don't have a want in the world. And I, right. can get, I can literally get them anything that they want. That's fantastic. What a great story. Um, Eric, what do you think is not talked about enough? in our society? Like what is something that's important to you that you wish we would talk more about? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, man, I think that like controversy sells too much. Like this guy says this, like, like Toby Covington, for example, man, the guy got a title shot just by saying the Brazilians are like filthy animals or whatever. Like he's good. He's still, don't get me wrong, but, you know, I just the rewarding of bad behavior. Yeah, I mean, dude, I'm I'm just like a quiet, humble dude, you know. So I'm not really a shit talker in like in like that regard. Like I have to say something bad about somebody to get notoriety or whatever. Now, if you want like locker room kind of stuff, I think I'm the best. Like I don't yeah. think anybody like 
one-on-one wants to add that, that competition, but I'm not going to get on the microphone or on a podcast or be like, you know, fuck Brazilians or, right, or whatever. Right, yeah. Like yeah. That. So, but at the same time, like I get it. I understand. I just wish it wasn't like that. Like I wish the guys would, you know, get rewarded off of their merit, their, you know, body of work and their skill set. Like Leon Edwards, for example, you know, this guy's kind of getting shitted on by everybody. Like he's a fantastic fighter. You know, he's on a hell of a win streak. But because he's not that guy, you know, yeah. talking about somebody's mom, you know, they just kind of put him to the wayside. You yeah. know, so like I don't I don't know if, how, or what, you know, you know, could fix that. Like I'm not like a social justice warrior. I'm not you know yeah no i i I hear what you're saying it it spreads to everything like how many clicks has that urban meyer story gotten oh dude yeah you know what i mean like it's just because it's this gossipy what you know it doesn't have anything to do with like actual substance but it's what everyone's going to click on and talk about and to the same you know and obviously a large part of that exists in mma too uh, so I hear you. I just, I just wondering that that's like a new question. Everybody's on their own, like personal crusade in their head and, or, you know, like things that you wish were different. And so, uh, you know, just wanted to get it out there. And also like, I don't know if I don't have the answer, like I don't. Right. If you can't like, fix well, it, what, why what, bring it up and the, complain? That people be like, Oh, uh, I don't know, everybody wants to point out the problem, but nobody wants to come with the solution. Somebody's like, all right, dude, if you're not going to have the solution or, you know, try to think about the solution, then don't talk about the problem. Yeah. You know, don't bitch about it if right. you're not trying to fix it, you know? So, whatever, you know. It's, well, you got to start with yourself. And so you are yeah, sure. you are part of the solution because you're not doing it. If that's, a, that? you know, I said, you're not talking a bunch of crap. So you are part of the solution because you're not perpetuating it, right? You're just, you're taking care of yourself. Yeah. And, you know, like, I think that, like, I've lasted this long in the sports because I've been willing to do what a lot of people aren't. Like, I fought a bunch of times on short notice. Yeah. Like, I fought Thiago on short notice. That was a good fight. Didn't work out my way. But man, I think that was the, you know, that's like the number one fight that people talk about. It's like, oh, dude, your fight with Thiago was, you know, whatever. Is that like, right? They talk about that one more than any other for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Main event, great fight, back and forth. Sao Paulo, I was there. <laughs> People always like, yeah, dude, you fought the dude with the hammer on his chest and fucking six <laughs> yeah. days notice, yada, yada, right, yada. Right, right, Great fight, but, you know, so I think that's kind of like the fight that that uh, put me on the map. Nice, man. All right, man, I'm going to let you get, well, you got another session today? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to train like two more times today. Oh. Uh, do some mitt work and then... Do a little bit more uh, rolling. So, there you I go. love the stuff, though. It's cool. And it's not like I have to, you know, pick kids up from school or, you know, feed kids or do homework or nothing. Like, it's all me. I go home, I sleep, yep. I eat, do it all over again. So, that's what I'm out here to do. So, it's, it's hey, good. man, it was about time I chatted with you in this format because I called your, uh, we, we kind of came into the UFC at similar times. You came in summer of 2017. I called your second fight against Perez and uh, Fresno. Then I called your main event against Machida. Then I called your main event against Santos. So I've I've called like, oh, I called your uh, I called your kickoff. You know, good from fifty eight yards. Tim Williams hey. knockout. 
Uh, so I, I, I called like, I don't know how many of your fights, but probably like six or seven at this point, at least. So like, yeah, about half of them. Yeah, man. Good to get the full story from you, Eric. Hey, anytime. Awesome, dude. Um, all right. Roman Dolize coming up in November. All the best with the rest of camp. Thanks for those life lessons, your story. And, uh, I think I'm on the call November 13th. That's right. Yeah. Oh, well, I'll see you there. All right. Hopefully it'll be another performance bonus. Yeah, there you go, man. Thanks, Eric. Have a good one. Hey, thank you. All right. Appreciate Eric Anders for stopping by on Fitz Nation, giving me his time there, giving us the story, uh, giving us a lesson, taking something from don't tell me what I can't do. It's got to be something that you want to do, right, though? You can't just go around proving people wrong if it's not something that your passion's in. But when that lines up, when you have somebody giving you the motivation in addition to passion of really wanting to learn something or really wanting to achieve something at the highest level. Uh, Certainly he did that, got himself a national championship ring in college football, got himself to the UFC as an MMA fighter, and uh, glad we get to watch him again coming up because he's in fun fights more often than not. And he's part of that batch of fighters that was in Fresno, California, December of 2017, uh, as part of my first UFC card. So I was always just... I'll just feel a certain connection to fighters that I I called in certain scenarios, right? And uh, certainly that was one of my first UFC card and my first contender series, the first season of contender series and stuff like that. I just, um, I don't know, different memories kind of come back when you call fighters like that and just the amount, right? Tiago Santos, main event. Uh, Lioto Machida in Belang, Brazil. That was my third UFC call, and he was the main event for it. So really excited for Anders' success, and we'll see if he can string together a handful of wins. And he says his timeline is three more years until he's done with fighting. And, uh, man, we'll see. Three years is a long time, and it's a short time, right? It could be just, you know, another five fights and out of there, or it could be five fights within a year, put together something special like Kevin Holland, get yourself into the rankings, get yourself some main events, and then you never really know. A title shot is uh, within your grasp in that time. Anyways, uh, appreciate everybody for listening to Fitz Nation once again. Happy to have you along for these interviews, and uh, I'll have to dig up a participant for next week. Not sure who it's going to be, but uh, I'm on the call this weekend with Michael Bisping, And then I'm on the call the next week with, I believe, Paul Felder or maybe DC. Who the hell knows? It's going to be a fun fall. It continues. Lots of UFC action, Dana White's Contender Series, all that good stuff. Like and subscribe. Head to YouTube and visit my YouTube channel there. Just posted that short video of Paul Felder kind of maybe not being done with fighting, maybe considering a comeback about six months after he announced his retirement. So anyways, just trying to keep all of you great UFC fans and MMA fans busy with uh, more content from what I can provide behind the scenes, good interviews and uh, insight from the broadcast. I'll talk to you next time on Fitz Nation.